Well, let's start off with prayer today. Lord, I am thankful for those gathered here to hear from you. I pray that you'd open our minds and our hearts to your word. That we might rejoice in how you have made us and what you've intended for us and how you restore us. So let us hear from you from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we started off our series, and we can kind of summarize it with a verse out of 1 Timothy chapter 6, which is in your bulletin. That these teachings are to promote godly living. And so we're going to be looking at some ways, very practical, simple, significant ways in our lives that God wants to use us, wants to live through us. Often those ways are quite overlooked. And we're going to be tackling for the next few weeks this gender topic because there's a lot of areas of our life, whether it be marriage, sexuality, areas like that, that reflects our understanding of gender and reflects our identity, really. And our culture doesn't accept what I'm going to share today, or next week, or the week after that. And so let's go to this next slide here. How would you respond to this statement? All right? So only one-third of Americans believe that you can define gender. All right? And so if someone said to you, gender is just a way that we are socialized. Each person gets to decide how would you answer that? I think most of us would say, no. <laughs> but how do you ground your answer, right? There's such a thing as giving the correct answer in a good way. Remember doing math assignments? Okay, I'm looking at a math teacher. Yep. All right, what happens when the student gives you the right answer, but they don't show their work? You start getting a little skeptical, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Especially if they get every answer right. You start wondering, okay, are they just repeating something they heard from somebody else? Or do they actually know how to ground their answer? Let's go to our next slide here. So, they've changed... This is the Cambridge Dictionary. This is, this is in 2022. They changed the definition of woman in the dictionary. Used to be known for a long time that a woman can be defined as an adult human female. They changed it to an adult who lives and identifies as female, though they may have been said to have a different sex at birth. I watched a documentary recently called What is a Woman? And they tried to get an answer. And the best answer they could get is, well, a woman is someone who identifies as a woman. Well, what, what, is, what, what does it mean to identify as a woman? Well, that's for anyone to decide. Okay, so at a certain point, if everything is true, nothing is true, right? 
Here's a, an alarming st- statistic. For those under the age of 30, 5% don't view themselves in a defined way with gender. 5%. How do you respond to that? When that's a child, a grandchild, a good friend. How do you give the answer, but then also a compelling, attractive, winsome, God-hearted why? So what does God have to say? Well, usually we don't lead that way. We usually don't lead with what God has to say. We usually lead with other answers. And so I call this correct bad answers, okay? So you'd say 2 plus 2 equals 4 because I have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in my pocket. What does that have to do with anything, all right? But we give bad answers about gender a lot. And our postmodern culture is asking they're challenging everything to say, show me the work. Show me the why. That's why they're called Generation Y. <laughs> and sometimes we haven't given good answers. You say, well, gender is that boys like blue and girls like pink. Should that be accepted? I mean, think about that. If that's the only reason someone gets for gender... That's a good cultural rejection to say, no, it's got to be something deeper than that. Or if we say, well, gender is how people lived in the TV show Leave it to Beaver, okay? Women have to have their hair just right, work in the home. All of these things, right? We're, We're rooting that into tradition, okay? That's not a, that, that's a correct bad answer, okay? That's not why we have gender. And our culture also looks at a lot of abuse that's happened through gender. And our stereotypes for gender often are not biblically, biblically based, right? If you want to be a man, get some muscle and some money, right? Where is is that rooted in the scripture? And if you want to be a woman, okay, be beautiful, draw attention. What is this stuff rooted in? It leaves the next generation feeling very inadequate when they're held to those standards. To have the muscles of Arnold Schwarzenegger, but not be, I don't know how tall he is. (laughs) Not super tall. So you have to have the muscles of Arnold Schwarzenegger as big as the Hulk. Smartest guy in the play. You know, here's the deal. There's one quarterback on the football team in a the school. There's one cheerleader captain. <laughs> Even they feel inadequate, let alone everyone else in the school saying, do I measure up to this or not? And man, we judge hard. We judge people hard on these things that have no basis. So no wonder people feel desperate 
to find some sort of solution to escape that. So what's God have to say? We're going to be looking at the first three chapters of Genesis. That's where gender starts. And so in verse 26, it shows God at work. He said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. You notice God is saying, let us make human beings in our image. We believe that God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. Though in diversity, there's unity. And then he says, let's make mankind in our image. And then in verse 27, he says this. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So this diversity of gender, it images God. That there can be difference and yet unity. That's a mystery that only the Holy Spirit can bring, is unity and diversity. Most of the world needs homogeny. means you've got to be identical to me for us to get along. Okay? Here it says, no, we can be diverse but yet unified. That's an, as we live that out through gender, it reflects the nature of God and that unity and that community. And yet in those differences... Verse 28. This idea of gender, it's a blessing to us. Part of me rejoices this morning over what God has made through gender, and yet part of me cries over how we've messed it up. But God blessed them, and he said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So he creates this. And it's for human flourishing and for God's glory. This is good stuff. Verse 29. Then God said, Look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. I've given you every green plant as food for all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And this is what happened. Verse 31. He calls it good. Gender is good. The Lord, then God looked over all that he had made and he saw that it was very good. So far each day he'd call it good and now he says this is very good. This reflects who I am. This is part of your identity of who you are. Every single person here is gendered. (laughs) From before we're born, in our mother's womb to the day the Lord brings us home, we're reflecting gender. And God says, that's good. And I praise God for that. It is good. I praise God for husbands and wives, for mothers and fathers, for grandfathers and grandmothers, for little girls and little boys. I praise God for that. It is very good. 
Our next passage here is going to be out of Genesis 2. So this is another account going a little more detailed into the creation story. And so verse 15 says that the Lord had placed the man in the Garden of Eden. Watch this, to tend and to watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are surely to die. So man is given some authority here. Creation is to submit to it, and yet this man is to submit to God. He says, you tend, you watch over it, you ensure it's flourishing and it's thriving, and you keep submitting to me, Adam. That was Adam's call at the very beginning. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Verse 21 there says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while the man slept, the Lord God took off, took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. So here comes woman as a helper to help him in this tending and watching over to bring about flourishing and thriving and blessing. Verse 22, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. Exclamation point here, okay? <laughs> At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. She's not taken from his feet, Okay? Not taken from his head, from his side. They're going to partner together in this. Verse 24. It says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So at creation, God designed this so that gender would have unity and no shame. There is security, safety, embracing how God had made them. Matthew 19 quotes this. They talk to Jesus about, they try and trick him with a question about divorce. <laughs> Jesus replies, haven't you read the scriptures? <laughs> Basically like, do your homework first here. <laughs> It's right there. Haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. So two-thirds of our culture doesn't think that way, <laughs> that you can define that. It says, no, from the very beginning, our identity is wrapped up as in this. It's male and female. It says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and has joined his wife. See, he's quoting that scripture from Genesis. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And then in verse 7, we see this phrase of God's intent. It says, that's why God, then, oh, they said, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. And Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. 
but it was not what God had originally intended. We're after what God originally intended. And yet we'll see that got lost in the fall as man and woman sinned. So much of masculinity and femininity that's out there is toxic. It's selfish. It's abusive. And our culture wants to find a good answer, I believe, to this. And they don't know where to look. But just as Jesus said, we know where to look. Haven't you read the scriptures? We have an answer. We have a way to ground this. So in Genesis chapter 3, go to verse 1. Satan hates what God makes, especially the things he calls very good. And his attack to thwart and to distort, he goes after identity first. Because that is a crippled death blow. When you believe your identity is something you're not, you're out of the fight. And so here comes the attack. One day, the serpent asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. Verse 3. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. For God said, you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. She adds something in there. God did not say, if you touch it, you will die. He said, do not eat of the fruit. He also told that to Adam. And Adam was supposed to pass that along to Eve. Also, where is Adam while some snake is talking to his wife? His job was to tend and to watch over things. Where would this have gone if Adam would have been accountable and responsible? If he would have stood up and spoke up? Yet I'm afraid too many men in our culture are told from a young age to sit down and shut up. And then we wonder why we don't have men that lead. Why we don't have men that are willing to take a risk and make a sacrifice. Man was, man was accountable for this. Surely, the woman is deceived and she's accountable for that too. But man was given his instruction first. Another thing I'll note, she adds to what God had said. She says, if we touch it, we will die. That's not true. That's called legalism when you make up your own rules. And frankly, we have made up a lot of rules and told the culture those rules on behalf of the Bible, and it's not true. Okay? 
I've been told I look good with a pink tie. My wife told me that once. That's okay. It's not against the Bible, okay? <laughs> but we, we say these things, and it's not rooted in the Scripture. And then it gets rejected. And here's what happens often. Is when you firm up and you make rules that are outside of what the Scripture says. Okay? They might be well-intentioned. I mean, that's probably a wise thing, right? To say, you know what? Let's just not even touch the stuff. That's probably wise. But when you start making those as rules and mixing it in with what God has said, now you're setting up your own system and your own rules and your own legalism. The Pharisees did that a lot. Jesus had to call them out on that a lot. And what often happens is when you set up your own rules, they get rejected. And they usually don't get rejected and the pendulum swings to the middle. Usually it all gets tossed out. People say, you know what, I don't trust anything you're saying now. And then comes the swing into licentiousness. Swing into license to say, you know what, let's just say everything goes now. And I believe that's where we're at. I believe that the swing is to everything goes now. The serpent continued and said, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. In other words, God is holding out on you, Eve. He is holding you back. You could be a lot happier <laughs> if you took this into your own hands. Just so you know, if the one who's come to kill and steal and destroy tells you, you won't die. <laughs> That's a lie. Okay? That is exactly the intent of the serpent. In verse 6, the woman was convinced. She saw these false promises. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. What a passive response, Adam. <laughs> and yet I'm convicted of that. Verse 7. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. This is where true masculinity and true femininity went into hiding. And in some ways, it's been in hiding ever since. It's been covered up. A lot of ways to actually live out our true identity. It feels vulnerable. It feels like it exposes us. In some ways it does. We've gone into protect mode.
We haven't been unified. Instead, we're protecting one ourselves and isolating ourselves. We've been in hiding. Where have the true men and the true women of God gone? I see a lot of them in this room. But we've got to talk about that. As the passage we looked at last week in Titus 2, older men teach the younger men. Older women teach the younger women what it means to embrace what God has designed to live out this flourishing and this blessing. Live it out in front of us so that we can see that it's good. Very good. Show us that it works. Show us the love in your marriage after 50 years. We need to see that. As Titus 2 mentions, you can't argue with that. It makes the gospel attractive in every way. It adorns the gospel. Makes it so that others have nothing bad to say about us. Because we're living it out. Verse 9. So here comes the Lord. He calls to the man. He's hiding. You really think he can hide from the Lord? My little girl was hiding from her grandpa yesterday under a little coffee table that was glass. It was the cutest thing. Hosanna, where are you? You know, she squirms and hides her head a little tighter into her hands. Here comes the Lord. Where are you? He replied. I made you very good. Where are you? Why are you rejecting your identity as though it were bad? Really, why would Adam and Eve become ashamed of their nakedness and, and clothe themselves? All of a sudden, their gender, they're ashamed of it. Adam says, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Who told you you have to cover up who God made you to be? Who gets that vote in your life about who you are? It is God. He's the middle of that circle. He gets the one and only vote to say who you are. Yet often we put our peers in there We allow the wounds from our childhood in there. We allow the stereotypes of culture in there to vote if I'm a man or a woman or not. No wonder so many young people feel inadequate and just want to trash the whole thing. Just say, you know what? Stop judging me. Verse 12. So yeah, so man is called to account first. He was first given that task to tend and watch and he blew it. 
He was accountable for everything that unfolded there. And then secondly, the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. A little bit of a passive response, I have to admit. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? She said, the serpent deceived me. She replied, that's why I ate it. Now here come the consequences. Verse 14. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you've done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Yet here's a ray of hope. This word for offspring is a singular male word saying that this coming descendant child Son of Adam, son of David, son of God is coming and he will strike and crush the head of the serpent and the serpent will strike his heel. There's there's a promise given here in 3.15. Man messed it up, but hope is coming. Verse 16. Femininity gets distorted here. I won't go into all of these verses necessarily, but you'll notice that there's a a ring to gender to them in terms of of what's being distorted, that it's, it's changing from its original intent. He said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. In pain you will give birth. You will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. None of that sounds good to me, okay? And yet it's the abuse that has happened through history. There's a reason the culture rejects gender. Verse 17, he said to the man, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Verse 18. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. It wasn't meant to be that way. And at the end there, you see death introduced. It's the final consequence. You will return to dust. Though you were made in my image, though you were made to be like me, to embrace that, to rejoice in that, something that's very good, what's very good is now being turned to dust. Verse 20. This is a lesser known verse in this story. But it says, Then the man Adam named his wife Eve, because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. (laughs) He covered them with a sacrifice. The Old Testament animal sacrifice was used to temporarily cover sin. To remind the people that yes, you've sinned, but yes, 
God has promised to send a Messiah, an anointed one, an offspring to cover that sin, to make things all right. We've messed it up. Each of us has. We've used our gender for our own advantage to manipulate, to take. Instead of men using their strength and women using beauty to go bless the world, we've been tainted by the fall. And yet there is hope here. There is restoration possible. The fall might have distorted the image of God in some ways that we live out, but it did not erase it. Through faith in Jesus Christ, empowered by His Holy Spirit, covered by His blood, we can be the true men and true women that our culture has been asking to see. We can show them that this is the way. That there is a way, and there is a truth, there is a life, and it's found through who Jesus has created you to be, who Jesus has redeemed you to be. And it is very, very good. So how do we engage this? Now what? Here's... Here's some suggestions if you're talking to someone on this topic. Okay, first one is that, and you'll, you tell them, tell them your worldview, okay? You say, you know what, here's how I make sense of the world. Okay, we all have a, a presupposition for how we make sense of the world, where we draw our truth from. Most of the culture draws their truth from their own experiences, their own thinking, they make sense of this crazy accident of evolution best they can. You say, you know what, here's, here's my foundation. And I believe this foundation allows for a complete comprehensive circle of a worldview. Gives purpose to my life, beauty to my life, it works. You say, I rest on the foundation of God's word and who he says I am. And it says that I'm a man or I'm a woman, that's very good. He created this was not a biological accident that we all get to just make, bring meaning to, okay? My identity comes from God. We have to be careful with our IMs. I'm trying to say I serve as a pastor rather than I am a pastor. We have to be careful with our IMs. The things I put in the IM category is I am a child of God. I am the beloved of God. Don't let stuff mess with your identity. So I would, I would go there and ask that person, where's your identity in? How are you finding it? And you'll sense pain. I think you'll sense inadequacy. I think you'll sense fear and shame and covering and hiding. We can offer a foundation that you can rest on. No more striving. No more running. Church, if your identity comes from God, then you're a man. 
You're a woman. End of story. No matter what the commercial tries to tell you to drive discontent to get your money, okay? That next beauty product. That image of success as a man. Don't let them vote. They don't get to vote. You are enough. And I apologize on behalf of the church at large for not saying that sooner. Not saying that to you when you were younger. That you are enough. Secondly, point out that these, it's true, there is stuff we need to reject out there when it comes to gender. But show that those problems have come from sin. From sin and from selfishness. It wasn't God's design. It wasn't his original intent for those things to happen. Right? Adam was to submit to God as he tended and watched over creation. Most men don't submit to God. And therefore, they use and abuse those things under their care. It's not how it's meant to be, but that's not God's fault. Sin is the problem. Don't toss it all out. Don't reject what God had made and called good. But hear their pain. Let them share their stories of how they've been judged, how they've been used. And then agree with them. Say, yes, I agree that what God has made is under attack as it was from the very beginning. And lastly, show hope that God can restore that identity. And it doesn't take fancier hair or more money or a promotion at work. You can lose all your hair and not have a job (laughs) and say, I am the man God made me to be or I am the woman God made me to be in this. And if you can be living out that restoration in front of them, far the better. Back in 2016 and 2017, I served two years as an interim associate pastor at my home church. It was a church of four pastors, and they all left. So they brought an interim in. Um, at the time, my dad was a retired pastor at the church, residing um, I had been part of a church plant back in 2009 from my home church. And so me and a friend decided, you know what, let's, let's go back and help out. So I was hired under an interim pastor for two years to help out. And during those two years, I was responsible for helping lead the youth group uh, with my friend. She helped lead it as well as a female presence there. Um, and then I also helped with some pastoral care stuff, and it was a great opportunity mentoring under this interim pastor who'd done 19 of these. I just got to ask questions and learn. 
And I'd known a lot of these kids. I'd been a chaperone on the mission trips years prior. So it was a natural fit to slide in and come back to my home church to serve in this way. And yet, during youth group, uh, we had one student who decided that they would change their pronoun and their name. It wasn't a big, she didn't grab my mic and tell everyone, but as a leader, I started to notice the kids bickering with each other, right? Some say, hey, where is she? Another student say, it's a he now. Don't you get it? And they're, they're bickering. Like, oh man, how are we going to do this? It was, it was sticky. It was a sticky situation. When I went back to seminary, I took that experience of those two years with me to digest. Right? That, how would I have handled that differently? And one of my classes even was a case study. You pick one really sticky situation you've experienced and then do some research on it. And that was my one. Okay? I still think through, how would I have done that differently? And we... We talked to the, the interim pastor, we had parents, leaders meeting, okay? All these meetings to decide, will we change the pronoun or not as we talk to this person? And here's my regret in all of it, okay? Instead of having six board meetings, I wish I would have had six coffees with this young girl. probably along with my friend. (laughs) Her dad was dying. A few years later, her mom even died. She was struggling. There was pain. She probably didn't fit the stereotypes associated to women in her high school. (laughs) You feel that. She wanted a safe space, I think. But it wasn't as much a problem to be addressed as a person to be restored. You get that? We can approach it as the church as if it was a political pep rally and just bash the other side and, you, yeah, we're right. No, wait. We're called to the other side to save people from the gates of hell and death and sin. To pull them away from the attacks of the enemy into what God had originally intended. So how do we engage? I wish I would have had six coffee talks. So what's going on? How are you? Right? God made you very good. I'm sure you haven't heard that enough. And sin has done some things very bad. And I grieve with you. And restoration is possible because God casts the one and only vote that says, You are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Church, you are his son, his daughter, whom he is well pleased.
We'll cover some more topics in the next weeks about gender, how we live that out. But it's rooted in embracing a God-given, very good identity for ourselves. For others. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you made us in your image. And yet we cover that so often. We might not go to the extremes in our culture, but we distort it every day. Help us to discover and rediscover what true masculinity is and true femininity, that together we might flourish and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.